Great. Well, here we are. Welcome to our um, morning event here at Oakwood Church. Uh, it's exciting to be together this morning. Josie, what do you think? Oh, it's, it's amazing that we could be together, even though we're sort of so spread apart. And um, I'm so happy that everyone could be joining us for this. Just as a little starter, we do have a poll that we're running um, on there. There you go, www.pigeonhole.at slash oakhall. And on there, you can basically tell us what you're missing most about lockdown. <laughs> Brilliant. And uh, we've got a few people already um, with their thoughts. So uh, this is where it's looking, Josie, at the moment. Oh, so, nice. Uh, what's what's leading Josie hugs definitely hugs I feel that I feel that <laughs> <laughs> okay well we've also got there as well um the opportunity to ask questions mm. and uh, so if you want to uh, pop in join in our little poll um and uh, perhaps hugs is going to get knocked off the top who knows um, Maybe. but also <laughs> also the opportunity uh, to line up some questions um I'm excited about our guest, Josie. Uh, do you want to yeah. tell us? Yeah, so Michael Otts, uh, he's an international speaker and writer, and um, it's great to have him here. Michael, where are you based right now? Oh, great to be with you, Josie. So I'm joining you from Marlow, uh, which is in Buckinghamshire. So it's about halfway between, between Oxford and London, just off the M40. Nice. What's the weather like there? It looks a bit stormy here today. Yeah, it's looking it's looking a little bit cloudy because um, which is a bit worrying because we're meant to be having a barbecue later outside. Um, so <laughs> it, might be a, it might be a soggy barbecue. Um, but, oh, uh, no. Yeah. You have to pitch up some tents. So yeah. do you know where Catrum is? I, I do, actually. Um, I've been been to Catrum a few times. I've been to oh. the church building. Um, and, oh. uh, so, uh, so it was great. In fact, yesterday we were driving to to visit some friends uh, to have a barbecue in their garden and they lived uh, just in Croydon and we we drove not far from Patreon and uh, I was I was thinking of you guys as we drove past. Oh it's such a shame if we were open you could have popped in but yeah, yeah so as it is Andy's going to sing us a song. Um, Michael have you heard Andy sing before? I have in fact we've had the joy of sometimes working together in events that we've spoken at and sang at around European universities so Amazing. Amazing. Great. Oh, thanks, Josie. Lavish love that drives out fear. Lavish love embracing near. Lavish. Lavish love. Adopting love that calls you child Adopting love pure undefiled Lavish, lavish love His love endures forever And His faithfulness stands for all time Forever love untamed by years From out of this world love the life appears Lavish, lavish love Forgiving love dies on a cross Forgiving love my gain is lost Is lost Cause his love endures forever And his faithfulness stands for all time Yeah, his love endures forever And his faithfulness stands for all time Love to last breath, God revealing love conquers death, conquers death, 
Cause he is love and Jews forever And his faithfulness stands for all time Yeah, he is love and Jews forever And his faithfulness stands for all time Lavish love, lavish love. Amazing. <laughs> that was great, wasn't it? So, Michael. We've tuned in basically for this theme, haven't we? This world, why so broken? So there's obviously going to be some questions that will come up hopefully on Pigeonhole. Um, but I would love to hear what you have to say. And so it was going to be all over to you now. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much, JC. And as JC said, um, there is going to be an opportunity to ask questions. And you should see down there at the bottom, um, the web address there where you can go uh, to write in your questions and to um, vote on other people's questions if you want as well. I wonder if you saw this um, photo, it kind of did the rounds of social media over the last couple of weeks. Um, it's uh, a photo that really did uh, make me laugh. Um, uh, if you don't uh, understand uh, what it's about, basically it's a screenshot from a film uh, that was quite a few years ago called Back to the Future. Um, the guy in the car is a guy called Doc, and he's talking to one of the main characters, a character called Marty. And this car is a special car because it can take you through time and you can just set the date into the computer's dashboard. And then at 88.8 .8 miles an hour, you'll be transported to that particular year and date. And I loved this, um, this comment. Rule number one, never set it to 2020. In other words, why on earth would you want to come to 2020? I don't know what your expectations were of this year, what you thought was going to happen this year. I was very excited and looking forward to 2020 uh, because 2020 uh, was the year that we were planning to get married. And thankfully, we were planning to get married in January. Uh, many people said that was unwise, the weather would be bad, but as it turns out, it may well be the best month of 2020 to plan a wedding. In fact, probably the only month possibly of 2020 uh, when weddings uh, may be able to be taking place. Uh, but little did we know, and little did anyone know, what was going to happen uh, through the rest of this year. And yet our world has been turned upside down, hasn't it? Coronavirus has affected all of our lives, not just those who have suffered from it and tragically those who've been bereaved by it. But coronavirus has impacted us all as we've had to adapt to living in lockdown, cut off from people that we know and love, unable to hug those in our extended family, and also finding ourselves not able for many of us to do the things that we would normally do, our jobs, our careers. Many of them are in question and our futures are so uncertain. But it's not just coronavirus, is it? How uh, did anyone expect that our world would be transformed as it has done over the last couple of weeks by the implications of the tragic death of George Floyd in Minneapolis and the incredible protests that have taken place across the world to affirm that black lives matter? But then, of course, the incredible tensions that's also raised as some of those protests turn violent and then reactions to those violent protests. And then what we've seen happening here over the last few weeks as well. It makes us ask the question, what is going on in our world? Why is our world so broken and so divided? A world where literally hundreds of thousands have died of coronavirus and many, many more are are really showing how they are impacted by injustice and racism. But it doesn't end there, does it? Just think about lesser reported things like the protests in Hong Kong at the moment, as it looks like the democratic freedoms that the people there have enjoyed will be restricted and, and removed. Or, or look at the tensions between India and uh, China um, over the uh, border and the potential for violence that might spill over from that between two you know, nuclear powers. These create massive questions in our minds. 
And it makes us ask that question, why is our world so broken, so painful, so divided and so full of conflict? And is there any hope in such a world? I guess the first thing I want to say is this. Why do we actually assume that our world is broken? Now, that might sound like a strange thing to say. Uh, we look around our world and we say, well, of course it's broken. It's obvious it's broken. Just look on the news. But but actually, why do we think that it is broken? Why do we not just say, well, this is just the way it is? You see, actually, if there is no God, if we are just the result of an accidental process, that's all we are and nothing more. Then why should we think that this world is broken? Why should we get upset at injustice? And where do we have this real sense that all human beings have real value and significance? Where do we get that from? Richard Dawkins is a famous scientist, also a famous atheist in Oxford. And he famously uh, explained his atheistic position this way, very consistently, I'd want to add. He said the universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect. If there is at the bottom no design, no purpose, no evil and no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is. And we dance to its music. In other words, what he's saying is that this is just the way the world is. There is ultimately no purpose. There is ultimately no justice. There is ultimately no reason to say that this world is is broken. It's just the way it is. So coronavirus kills the weak whilst it spares the strong. Well, that's just the process of evolution sped up, isn't it? That's what's always happened. The weak have died at the expense of the strong. So some oppress others. Well, that's just what happens. We live in a world and it's not fair. But why should we expect it to be fair? Why should we think that all lives have real value and dignity? It's very difficult to find a basis for such ideas simply from an atheistic worldview alone. Very difficult. And that's why I find the Christian story is actually really attractive. You see, the story of the Bible affirms that actually our world is broken because the Bible says the world we live in today is not the way the world once was. The Bible says something has gone wrong and this world is not the way it's meant to be. You see, the Bible begins by saying that God created the world. He created this world with beauty and significance and purpose. And we can still see echoes of that, can't we? As we walk in early summer through the woods or the hills and we see something of the beauty and the goodness of this world. And the Bible also says that God didn't just create the world, but he created us as human beings in his image. In other words, we were created unique to the rest of God's creation because we were created to reflect something of what God is like. So we're able to reflect something of the creativity and the beauty and the goodness of God. And that is why humanity is important and significant because we have the imprint of God himself upon us, as it were. And that's why all lives do matter. Whoever we are, wherever we're from, However old we are or young we are, strong we are or weak we are, whatever the colour of our skin, we all have significance and value. And that is why it's so bad when some people's lives are seen as not having value. And that is why it's so bad when weak people die at the expense of the strong. And that is why we search for justice and long for equality. Because that's the kind of world that God created, a world of goodness, where people had real value, significance and equality. But of course, that's not the world we always see, is it? It's not the world we've seen in 2020. And that's because the Bible says, though that was the way the world once was, it is not the way the world now is. Something has gone wrong with our world. But of course, the question is, what has gone wrong with our world? And who is to blame for the way the world is? That's been a really big question that we've been forced to think about, perhaps in the last couple of weeks, particularly as we've reacted to firstly the death of of George Floyd tragically in America and then the massive Black Lives Matter protests that have taken place around the world. And particularly over the last couple of weeks, as we've seen people starting to question things that have been done in the past, we've seen the removal of, of statues because of what these people stood for or what they did. 
but it's led us to ask questions about not just statues and certain people, but perhaps it's led us to ask questions about all people. Where is the problem in our world? Well, I came across just yesterday on Twitter a video that John Cleese, uh, the famous actor, of course, from Faulty Towers, among other things, uh, had videoed 30 years ago. The incredible thing was that this video, though filmed 30 years ago, could have been filmed yesterday. And it speaks, I think, into some of the tensions and questions that we're looking at in our world today. So I'm going to share my screen and hopefully you'll be able to both see and hear this in a second. Um, so here we go. Seriously, though, we've heard a lot about extremism recently, a nastier, harsher atmosphere everywhere, more abuse and bother boy behavior, less friendliness and tolerance and respect for it's All right, but what we never hear about extremism is its advantages. Well, the biggest advantage of extremism is that it makes you feel good because it provides you with enemies. Let me explain. The great thing about having enemies is that you can pretend that all the badness in the whole world is in your enemies and all the goodness in the whole world is in you. Attractive, isn't it? So if you have a lot of anger and resentment in you anyway, and you therefore enjoy abusing people, then you can pretend that you're only doing it because these enemies of yours are such very bad persons. And that if it wasn't for them, you'd actually be good-natured and courteous and rational all the time. So, if you want to feel good, become an extremist. Okay, now you have a choice. If you join the hard left, they'll give you their list of authorised enemies. Almost all kinds of authority, especially the police, the city, Americans, judges, multinational corporations, public schools, farriers, newspaper owners, fox hunters, generals, class traitors, and, of course, moderates. Or, if you'd rather be an extremist on the hard right, no problem, fine, you still get a lovely list of enemies, only they're different ones. Noisy minority groups, unions, Russia, weirdos, demonstrators, welfare spongers, meddlesome clergy, peaceniks, the BBC, strikers, social workers, communists, and, of course, moderates and upstart actors. Now, once you're armed with one of these super lists of enemies, you can be as nasty as you like and yet feel your behaviours morally justified. So you can strut around abusing people and telling them you could eat them for breakfast and still think of yourself as a champion of the truth, a, a fighter for the greater good, and not the rather sad paranoid schizoid that you really are. Seriously. Brilliant. Well, I hope you could get that and get the point that John Cleese was trying to make. Incredible, isn't it, that he filmed that 30 years ago? But it speaks into something of what we've seen, particularly here in the UK and in other parts of the world over the last couple of weeks. And that is to see that the problem of the world is basically other people. To see that the problem of the world is not just in society, but it's in certain parts of society. And the way to solve the problems of the world then are to get rid of other people. And so we've seen that happening, haven't we, in our society. But what if the problem of the world isn't just in other people? What if the reason why our world is broken is not just because of other classes or other races or other people, but because of us? What if the problem is also in here? In that actually, that is exactly what the Bible says. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus says. Jesus says that the heart of the problem is actually our hearts. He says it's out of our hearts that evil comes. The problems of our world are not just in structures, they're not just in other people, but they're also in us. None of us are the people we should be. Yes, absolutely. We've often been hurt and oppressed by the actions of others? Absolutely. But sometimes we have to admit that we can hurt and oppress others by the things that we do, or maybe also the things that we don't do. See, the Bible says the brokenness of our world stems back to the brokenness of humanity, that none of us are the people we should be. And we can't simply pass the blame off on other people. We have to face up to the fact that we're part of the problem. Coldplay in one of their early songs asked this question in a song called Clocks. They say, am I part of the cure 
or part of the disease? It's a great question, isn't it? Because we want to think that we are the answer to the world's problems and everyone else is the problem. But actually, what if we're part of the problem too? What if we can cause hurt and pain through our actions? You see, the problem of the world is not just out there. The problem of the world is also in here. The problem of the world is in all of our hearts. But I also want to say the good news of Christianity is that Christianity doesn't just identify where the problem is, but it also offers us a solution. You see, the Bible says the heart of the problem is the problem of the human heart. Each one of us is disconnected from the God who made us. We've turned our back on him. And so often we've caused hurt and pain to others. And that pain and hurt has spilled over. So we live in a world that's not the way it should be. A world that's broken and damaged. Everything's been affected. It's like when you throw a stone through a window. It's not just the point of impact that breaks, but the whole window shatters. So the way our our sin has affected our world has been that all of our world has become shattered and broken and damaged as a result. Yes, our world is broken, but Jesus didn't simply come to point out the brokenness. He came to bring a solution. As one Christian writer and thinker said, Jesus didn't simply come to rub it in. He came to rub it out. Jesus came to offer forgiveness and transformation for the problems that we find not just out there, but the problems that we find in here, in our hearts. He came to offer us forgiveness. He came to offer us transformation and change. And I think that's one of the problems that we see in our society today. There's a lot of judgmentalism in our society today. There's a lot of highlighting the failings and the flaws in other people. There isn't a great deal of redemption. There isn't a great deal of forgiveness. There doesn't even seem to be the possibility of forgiveness. And yet the heart of the Christian faith is a message that not only points out the problem, but an offer of a solution, an offer of forgiveness, an offer of change and transformation. But the Bible doesn't just say that God has come to offer us forgiveness, but it also points towards an incredible hope that we can look forward to in the future. We've said that the world we live in is not the way it once was, but the world we live in is also not the way it one day will be. The Bible looks towards this incredible hope in the future of when God will make things new. I saw a cartoon in a newspaper a few weeks ago, and it was in reflection to all of the turmoil that we're seeing in our world right now. And it was a cartoon of God looking at planet Earth. And an angel standing near God turns to God and says, have you turned, tried turning the whole thing off and then turning it back on again? Now, that's what we do, don't we? When our computer breaks or our phone doesn't seem to work, we just turn it off and turn it back on. But in a way, that was actually getting towards something of the truth. Because actually the Bible says one day God is going to restart and remake and transform our world. The Bible says that although we live in a world that's not the way it once was, it is also not the way it one day will be. One day this world is going to be transformed, made new and set free. A world where there will be perfect justice and equality, perfect unity and love, no more conflict and also no more coronavirus that kills those who are weak and vulnerable and no more cancer and no more pain and no more tears and no more funerals. It's an incredible and beautiful hope that the Bible holds out for the future. But before we finish, let me Anticipate possibly three questions that you might have off the back of that beautiful picture of the Christian hope in the future. And the first is this. Isn't that just wishful thinking? Isn't that just an illusion? Don't you just believe that because you want to believe it, because it makes you feel better, because the world is so depressing? But actually, what I want to say is this. Christianity and the Christian hope that we've thought about is not too good to be true. But it is good because it's true. See, Christian hope is not based on wishful thinking, a nice idea or a simple philosophy, but it's based on an event. It's based on the historical event of Jesus' resurrection from the dead 2000 years ago. And as absurd as that claim might sound when we first come across it as a secular Western person, when you start to look at the evidence, you find that it's actually compelling. And many people have been similarly sceptical of it until they started to look into the evidence and they've had to change their minds 
as they found the evidence is overwhelming and compelling. I haven't got time to go into it right now, but why not ask questions on Pigeonhole? And we'll look at those questions at the end. We'd love to be able to engage with those questions because this isn't wishful thinking. It's based on something which is true and you can investigate and check out. But the second objection you might have is this. Isn't this just, well, pie in the sky? Oh, yes, it's wonderful. One day God's going to make the world new. But how does that help me now in 2020? How does that help a world that is in pain and suffering? How does that help in a world where coronavirus has changed our lives? How does that help when we see black lives being snuffed out? How does that help? And I want to say this, those who have been gripped by the future hope of what Jesus is going to do one day, have actually been those who have made the biggest difference in this world. And having this hope in the future doesn't lead you to bury your head in the sand and ignore the brokenness we see out there, but it should free us and motivate us and liberate us to want to make a difference in the world out there. Let me give you two illustrations. We've thought a lot about plagues and pandemics over the last few months, of course. But one of the things that you may find interesting is to discover that in the first few centuries of the Christian church, several great plagues and pandemics swept through the Roman Empire with devastating impact. The mortality rate was not 1% or 2%, but sometimes 25% or more. So many people lost their lives. And it was common practice when pandemics and plagues swept through massive urban areas for people to flee for their lives. But it is observed by the Roman Emperor Julian himself, certainly not a Christian, that Christians did something unique. Instead of running to save their lives, they often stayed put and at great risk cared for those who were sick, not just other Christians within the community of the church, but people who were not Christians were cared for too. And this led to not only more people surviving, because if you were cared for, you had a higher chance of surviving yourself, but it also led to many people embracing the Christian faith as a result of this incredible sacrificial love that had been shown to them by the Christian community. Now, a social historian called Rodney Stark, who writes about this in one of his books, asks this question. He says, were these Christians more brave and more courageous that they were able to do what other people were not able to do? or willing to do. And actually, he says, no, they weren't. He says they, like everyone else, were just being consistent with what they believed. You see, if you believe that death is the end, if you believe that's the end of the story, then you'll do anything you can to preserve your life a little bit longer. And we've seen that, haven't we, over the last few weeks and months. A great fear of death has gripped us. It's not just a pandemic of coronavirus, it's a pandemic of fear. But if If you know that death is not the end, if you know that the best is yet to come, if you know that Jesus has beaten death itself and offers hope beyond it of a world made new, then it liberates you to do risky things, to help and care for others so that you can make a difference in this broken world. Hope in the future changes your life today. One other illustration comes from more recent in the 1960s. And that incredibly famous speech that maybe we've thought about again in recent weeks of Martin Luther King in Washington, D.C., as he stood up and spoke about the dream that he had for racial equality and unity. But in that dream, it was filled with biblical images of the kind of hope that the Bible looks forward to in the future. This incredible day when every tribe and nation, every ethnicity would be brought together in unity and equality by Jesus. And Martin Luther King, as a Christian preacher, was gripped by this hope of what the Bible says is going to happen one day in the future. Not the erasing of our ethnic differences, but the celebration of our ethnic differences as we come together united in Jesus. And Martin Luther King was so gripped by that future hope that it drove him to want to bring that about today to want to make a difference so that that future hope was more fully expressed and realised in in society today. You see, having hope for the future, as the Bible gives us, doesn't bury your head in the sand. It doesn't make you do that. It gives you the greatest motivation to want to make a difference in this world. It has, it should, and it will. Hey, look, the last objection, and then I'm done. 
you may be hearing about this hope that the Bible gives for the future. And you might say, well, if God can make a new world, why doesn't he do it now? You know, why do we have to go on living? I mean, why do we have to go on in the midst of such brokenness and division today if God can do this one day? And the answer is not that God doesn't care, but the answer is because he does. But before God makes a new world, he needs to make new people. Because if the problem is not just out there, if the problem is not just in structures and systems, but if the problem is also in here, then the hope and the transformation of our world needs to begin in here too. And Jesus says that we need to change. We need to come to receive his forgiveness and his Holy Spirit that enables us to be changed and transformed so that we can then start to make a difference in society. We can start to challenge and change our world. But that change doesn't just start with other people because the problem is not just out there. It needs to start here. And God wants to give us the opportunity to come to receive his forgiveness, his transformation, and to become part of that new world that he is one day going to make. It's an incredible hope that the Bible holds out to us in the midst of brokenness and division. But as I wrap up, let me just ask you the question. I wonder what you make of all this. Maybe you say, look, I, I don't believe this at all. I, I, I don't think this is true. I don't buy the Christian story. I don't think it makes sense. And if that's what you're thinking, I just want to say, firstly, thanks so much for watching. There's lots of other things you could have watched this morning on telly or on the Internet. So thank you for choosing to, to watch this, um, even if it was because you were forced into it by a friend. But, but thank you. But if you are thinking that, if you are saying, look, I, I don't think the Christian story is true, can I just ask you the question, how else are you going to account for the brokenness and the injustice of our world? Why is it that we feel that our world is broken? Why is it that we feel that all lives have intrinsic value and significance? Where does that come from? And where are you going to place your hope for the future? And what are you going to build your life? These are questions that we have to face up to, whatever we think, whatever we believe. And they're important questions. And before you reject the Christian faith, maybe at very least check out the heart of the Christian faith, Jesus Christ himself. For although we may have issues with institutionalised religion, I have found Jesus to be incredible and attractive and beautiful. And why not take one of the accounts of his life, one of the Gospels in the Bible, and read through it for yourself, maybe for the first time, and ask yourself what you make, not just of religion, but of Jesus. Maybe you're thinking, though, actually, Michael, I think this is kind of interesting. I'd, I'd like to look into this more. I'd like to, to, to investigate this further. This sounds interesting, but I've got questions. Well, in a moment, Josie and Andy will be telling us about some of the stuff that will be happening at Oak Hall Church that you could get engaged with over the next few weeks that will help you to continue to investigate this more. We'd love to be in touch with you. We'd love to help you in any way we can. But maybe you're sitting here this morning, wherever you're watching from, and you're saying, well, actually, this does seem to make sense. This does seem to, to make sense of the world in which we live. And this does seem to, to be wonderfully good news. And it does seem to offer real hope. But you might be asking, how can I know this hope for myself? How can I know this forgiveness for myself? And how can I know Jesus changing my life in the way that he's changed other people's lives? Well, the wonderful news is you can. Because this forgiveness, this transformation, this hope is offered to us, not as a reward that we need to earn, but as a gift that we simply need to receive. And it's a gift that we can receive when we face up to the fact that actually we aren't the people we should be, that we do need God's forgiveness. And we ask God in Christ to give us that forgiveness and to come into our lives and to change us and help us to start to become those agents of change and transformation in this world. So what about you? Have you ever asked Jesus to come into your life to forgive and change you? If you haven't, why not do that? Why not do that this morning? Why not ask God to do that for you? Okay, I want to finish just with a short prayer that you might want to echo in your own hearts as a way of responding to what you've heard. If you don't want to pray it, that's fine. Just listen, because in a moment we're going to go to questions. But if you do, this would be a wonderful way of receiving all that God wants to offer to you in Jesus. And this could be the day where you discover real hope and real transformation as God comes to live within you and to give you this hope that we've talked about in the midst of all the brokenness, a God who wants to be with us through life, through death and through eternity. Why don't you just pray this prayer? You could echo it in your heart wherever you're watching and listening from today. Let me pray. God, thank you 
thank you that you help us to make sense of the brokenness that we see in our world today. But God, we also recognise that there's brokenness in our hearts as well. The world is not the way it should be, but we are not the people we should be sometimes. But thank you, God, that you came in Jesus so that we could be forgiven and changed. Thank you that Jesus died for us. Please forgive me. And please come into my life and give me this hope that one day you are going to change this world and unite what is broken and divided and make it new. Please give me that hope and be with me now. And I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for listening. I think Andy's going to come and join me. There he is. I'm going to hand back to Andy. He's going to sing us another song, which is going to give us a chance to reflect on what we've heard uh, before we go to the questions, I think. Brilliant. Oh, thank you, Michael. It's been just a really thought provoking uh, morning and looking particularly forward to this next part as well. Um, where we're going to be asking some questions. So um, as I share this song, perhaps some of us want to line up getting ready to, uh, to ask some questions to Michael. Uh, this song, it's, a, it's an echo of the words of Jesus as he invites people like you and me uh, into relationship with him, into relationship with the God of heaven. And he just says, come to me, come to me. It's called Rest for Your Soul. Come to me, are you weary 
unburdened. Take my yoke and learn from me, for I am humble and gentle of heart, and you'll find rest, rest for your soul. Your fine rest, rest for your soul. Your fine rest for your soul. Your fine rest for your soul. Looking forward to uh, now having everyone involved and uh, hearing the questions that have been uh, coming together. So, uh, Josie, should we go and have a look and uh, and see what's going on over on mm. our uh, on our poll? Well, first of all, perhaps we should just uh, find out what is happening as far as uh, as hugs. Is that still near the top? Mm. Uh, I checked up whilst uh, you were singing, and it is still the, in the lead. Well, that's surprising. Well, three months of watching Netflix, the idea of going to watch a film is not necessarily it's very true. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, there's been some other things going on there too, and yeah. uh, so let's have a look at what is going on as far as questions are concerned. So, um, we've uh, We'll see if we can make that come up for us. And um, maybe Josie, actually, you could read us the first question. Would that be okay? Yes, yeah. So I've actually got it up here on my screen. So the top voted one at the minute is In Jesus, we see one who is pure of heart, yet would not sit on the fence and is not afraid to confront those who opposed him. How do we better emphasize with and confront our society like he would? I think that's really interesting, actually, because I find that is that he was such a strong character, but yet he was so pure mm. and he had no wrongfulness about him. Mm. Yeah, thanks, Jesse. And that's, that's really helpful that you say that, because um, sometimes people talk about gentle Jesus, meek and mild, as if, you know, the only image of Jesus is him sitting there, you know, wearing his big white robe and blue sash, holding a baby <laughs> in one hand and a, a, a lamb in the other. As if uh, that kind of sums up the entirety of Jesus' life and ministry. And of course, there are beautiful pictures of where Jesus does welcome children, and he is gentle and kind, and is approachable, and 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 the embodiment of love. And yet, there are also times when Jesus um, says things that are really harsh. And um, he walks into a place of worship and turns the table upside down because people are using religion to make money and to basically oppress people. He um, speaks to the people who were most respected in society and he challenges their hypocrisy. And so, yes, we absolutely see in Jesus not just gentleness and love, but we also see the willingness to challenge and to speak um, against those in authority. And I think that models to us that actually sometimes we do really need to challenge those in authority. We do need to challenge systems that can be oppressive and wrong. Um, and, and as Christians, we need to recognise that that sometimes the, the ways that our countries have been governed um, aren't always fair. And when that isn't the case, we really need to speak out against that. Um, but I also find what was interesting about Jesus is that Jesus often spoke out against a group called the Pharisees. Um, and basically the Pharisees were people who were really convinced that they were kind of righteous, that they were good. And, and they looked down on people who didn't meet their standards of goodness and, and righteousness. And, and because of that, they basically, um, well, they became quite proud. And Jesus speaks some really strong words to the Pharisees because he says, actually, you think the problem is, is in other people and you've kind of got it all sussed out and you're okay. But he says, actually, what you've failed to realize is that you're basically, he uses this really kind of offensive imagery. He says, you're like a whitewashed tomb. He says you've got a really good out external appearance, but on the inside, he says you're kind of you're full of dead bones. In other words, um, wow. 
on the inside, you're not what you are on the outside. And I think there's a danger that one of the things I've seen is that there's this tendency to want to show the world that we're okay because we tick all the boxes of what it means to be good. But maybe we're hiding stuff in our hearts. And Jesus says, actually, in all of our hearts, there's stuff that's wrong. And he's not saying the problem was just the Pharisees. He says, we're all in the problem. But the problem with the Pharisees is they thought the problem was everyone else. And Jesus says, we need to face up to the fact, yeah, there is evil and sin in other people. And sometimes there are systems that can support and exacerbate that. But sometimes it's also in us. So we can't be self-righteous about it. And we need to have a humility that recognises where we need to change as well. Mm. Mm. For a question, though. Brilliant. Thank you, Michael. Well, well, we've got another question here uh, and it is, is there really evidence, actual evidence for Jesus's resurrection? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, so yeah. is there really evidence for Jesus's uh, resurrection? Uh, Michael, love to hear uh, <laughs> how you'd come back to us on that one. Is there evidence? Yeah. Thanks, Andy. Um, I'm glad that whoever asked the question up the question, because um, as conscious, I don't really have time to go into that kind of talk. But it's a really big question because I was basically making the point that Christian hope is based on this historical claim of the resurrection of Jesus. So it is something you can investigate. It's not just an idea. But of course, that raises the question, well, what's the evidence? Well, what you may find surprising is that even among scholars who are not Christian, so we're talking about Jewish or atheist historians and scholars, there is basically agreement that certain things must have happened 2,000 years ago around this, this claim of the year of resurrection. Five things for this. Firstly, that Jesus was crucified. We know that. There's um, sources inside and outside the Bible that assert that's one of the most uh, definite things we can know about ancient history, Jesus' crucifixion under Pontius Pilate. Secondly, we know that his tomb was empty. Because if it wasn't empty, Christianity could never have begun. It'd be very easy to close the whole Christian movement down three days later when someone would just point out, there's his body. So the tomb had to be empty. And no one disputed that for 200 years. That's the first time anyone questioned that idea. Thirdly, the disciples of Jesus were convinced that they had met Jesus alive again after he had died. And they were so convinced of that, they were willing to die for this belief. Now, people may die for things they think are true, but aren't true. But no one dies for something they know isn't true, like a story they've just made up. There's something absolutely convinced these disciples that Jesus was alive. The fourth thing is we see even some of the enemies of the Christian faith become convinced of Jesus' resurrection when they're confronted by the evidence. And so it's not just, you know, um, confirmation bias, people wanting to believe stuff they previously believed, but this changes people's minds. Um, at the time. And then fifthly, we see how Christianity grows massive. It's all based on this within the next 20, 30 years. Thousands of people embrace the Christian faith right across the Roman world at a time when the eyewitnesses are still alive, when the evidence was still to hand and people could go and check it out. And so you have to ask the question, how do we explain all of those five themes of evidence? The crucifixion of Jesus, the empty tomb, the transformation of his followers' lives, their conviction that he was alive, and the growth of Christianity based on this claim. And what I've discovered as you look into that is that the only thing that really accounts for all of those ideas is that Jesus actually rose from the dead. Now, people over the last 200 years have suggested other scenarios about how you might explain that away, but the problem is none of them actually explain all the evidence. Um, and as one um, uh, high court judge once said that we throw it down the court's floor. They just don't stack up. They don't explain it away. So actually, once you start to look at the evidence, I'd say actually the only thing that really fits it is the resurrection. So if we're willing to kind of disengage our, our bias that says, you know, well, miracles are impossible because there is no God and entertain the idea that actually maybe there could be a God who got involved in the world, then actually you start to realise, hey, this may be really significant evidence that points towards that. Thank you. Josie, do, you want, do you want to read us this next question? It's yeah. got lots of strands in it. So, uh, Michael, over, over yeah. to you, Josie. And yeah, I was just looking at this one. There's actually a comment on it as well. So there's like an added question there. So how yeah. can we affirm that none should be discriminated against, but also separate, separate ourselves from groups like BLM, which want to destroy God's design for families, promote LGBT agenda and violence? And then, oh, there's two comments. So one of the comments is, do we not want to emphasise with others? Emphasise with others. Um, can we understand others without confronting their views? 
And surely you can align yourself with one movement on the left without being forced to align all of your views with the left. Yeah, thanks so much, JC, for reading that out to us. And thanks to whoever asked the question, because I think mm. it, it highlights the real maybe tension that people might be feeling at the moment. And that is, um, on the one hand, I don't know whether that, well, I don't know anyone who wouldn't want to affirm the sentiments that Black Lives Matter and absolutely affirm that 100%. And responding to Black Lives Matter by saying all lives matter kind of misses the point because it's not saying only Black Lives Matter, of course, it's saying Black Lives Matter too. So people who have often um, in, in the West marginalised or oppressed, we want to say, yeah, they, they matter too. So, so absolutely we want to affirm that. Uh, but of course, Black Lives Matter is not just a series of words that we say. It's also the name of a movement. You can go onto the website, you can mm. check out their stated aims and so on. And you can realise when you do that, obviously, that there are many things that that movement stand for that maybe you have some genuine problems with, like the idea of the solution to the oppression we see simply being defunding the police. There are some big questions about that, what that means and what that would lead to, or uh, the stated aim to basically get rid of the idea of the nuclear family, which is also there on the website. So we're left with real tension between maybe some real issues with what a movement stands for, but also wanting to affirm uh, this idea that Black Lives Matter. And and therefore there is a challenge. Now, there are some Christians that will be very willing to, to say kind of hashtag Black Lives Matter and have said that. And I'm not going to assume that because they are saying Black Lives Matter, they therefore necessarily agree with everything that the movement stands for. I think I want to say they're obviously just wanting to affirm that Black Lives Matter. But personally, I have to say, I do feel attention with that, which is why I want to kind of qualify that by saying, while affirming this, I don't necessarily want to agree with everything that lies behind this. And, and I think we just need to recognise that we need to be maybe nuanced on that as well, affirming it without having to affirm everything that goes with it. And I think as a Christian, I want to say, actually, the beauty for me of the Christian faith is it gives me a better justification for why Black Lives Matter than I think Black Lives Matter themselves have. And also a greater vision for the future than I think the movement suggests. See, what I want to say is that the greatest justification for why Black Lives Matter is that we are created in the image of God. And that's the only objective standpoint that really does inherently say that every single life black or white, old or young, really does matter. Whoever we are, whatever our gender, whatever our sexuality, we matter to God because we're created in the image of God. Also holds that incredible vision for the future because the Bible says there is going to be a day of complete equality and complete unity. The Bible talks about this day when every tribe and nation will be brought together. And we're not going to be colorblind because actually our ethnic backgrounds are part of who we are. We want to celebrate all that's good about that uh, but we're also not going to be divided because we're going to be brought together. So I just say, absolutely, black lives do matter. And I just want to say, I think the Christian faith gives us greater justification and a greater vision for the future um, for why that is the case. Brilliant. Thank you, Michael. You know, this is our last question for now. Um, Josie and I will mm. explain a way that we can carry on talking about these big themes mm. after this question's mm. been kind of considered. Um, we've picked this one out because it's so personal. Um, and it's one of us has written this this morning. Um, it's a sense of over overwhelming uh, sense mm. of this pressure of what's going on around us. Let me read it. Sometimes suffering in the world just seems completely overwhelming. How can I trust that God is loving when he allows so much evil to go on? Thank you, Mike. Yeah, thanks so much for the question, whoever asked that question, because, because that maybe is a real sense that we feel this world does feel overwhelming and broken. I think there's just two things I want to say. Firstly, as a Christian, one of the things I find really helpful about the Bible is it really affirms that you're right when you say that. This world is really broken, and sometimes it is overwhelming. And and actually, I find that really helpful because, as I said earlier in the talk, um, if I'm going to adopt other worldviews or philosophies, particularly a worldview that excludes God, I just have to say, well, this is the way the world is. And I think one of the things the Bible does is it really affirms how broken, how unjust and unfair the world so often is. And it identifies and says, you know, the feelings that you have, they, they correspond with reality. You're, you're right. And, and I just, I do find that really helpful. When I 
sit at the grave of a friend who tragically lost his life. I remember just thinking, it shouldn't be this way. Mm. And actually I found great comfort in realizing it shouldn't. You're absolutely right, this world we live in is broken. But there's something else that I'd hold on to as well. And that is the heart of the, the Christian story is a story of a God who came into this world of brokenness and pain and experienced himself. And so the story of Christianity is how God in Jesus came into this world and experienced oppression and experienced inequality, experienced injustice, and ultimately was crucified, taking upon himself um, all of the pain and the brokenness of our world. And, and while the fact that that happened doesn't always answer the questions I have, you know, why does God allow this to happen or why does God allow that to happen? And to which the answer is often we don't know. The fact that God did do for me in Jesus, it really helps me because it helps me to know that for whatever reason why God allows things in the world to take place in the way that he has, it's not because he doesn't care and it's not because he doesn't love me. Because actually he has done the most costly thing, he stepped into the brokenness. And if I can say one third thing, and that would be just to say, the wonderful thing is this is not the end of the story. And so we shouldn't judge without taking into account the end of the story. It's a bit like you know, when you read a story, we're, we're reading the Harry Potter books at the moment. And of course, when you know how the book ends, it realigns the way you judge all the characters in the story. And the Bible says, this is how the world's going to end. God is going to put this broken world right, and there is going to be justice, and there's going to be no more tears. And, and Knowing something of the end of the story, it also helps me to continue to trust God in the middle of the story. I say, actually, this God really does care. And he knows what it's like. And he wants to offer me to be part of that new world one day in the future. And that real hope that in the future can really give us the ability to keep on going in the midst of brokenness and the pain that we see all around us today. Brilliant. Well, one of those opportunities, I think, to... Uh to think about these things um josie you've you've recently done a uh, done a course that was pretty interesting tell us about that so i've actually done it twice um <laughs> I, i've attended christianity explored twice so i did it right when i first started coming to oak hall i think before i even set through the doors properly i did christianity explored um and it was when it was up at phil's house and uh, it was really family feeling and uh, it really opened my eyes to a, a lot of questions that I had because I had, like you said earlier, Michael, I was one of those people that came to Christianity very sceptical, very sort of like my back up to it. Um, and it and it broke down loads of doors that I didn't think it would. Um, and so, yeah, so then I did it again. I think about a year later when the church building was all up and running and uh, yeah, and it's, it's really allowed me to grow in understanding of who Jesus was and what he did and what his actual message is. And I do, I 100% encourage people to go to it, even if you've done it five times before you've been in the church for however long. One of the people that I did the first course with had been in Christianity for a really long time, but it still opens up new questions, which is really lovely. Um, and tomorrow night we're going to be doing one where actually I'm going to be helping to host. Andy's going to be there and his wife Faye, if you know her. And um, we're all going to be involved in sort of running this Christianity Explored. And it would be amazing if people could pop in and join in with us. If you want to, there is an email address that Andy's just put up. So it's welcome at oakhallchurch.org.uk. And uh, it starts at 8.15 tomorrow. And we're just going to do it for about 50 minutes on Zoom. And uh, it just allows you to have any kind of questions and just open up to it. And even if you just want to come to the one tomorrow with us three, that's that's more than great. And like we'd love to see you there. I'd love to see people that I've never met before from the church and just have questions with them about Jesus and who he is and what he's done for each of us. Brilliant. 
Brilliant, Josie. What an invitation. Well, you know, we'd really like to close our morning just kind of underlining that, really. It's going to be a great opportunity to keep talking about these things. And uh, it might be that you're listening in from somewhere else and uh, you're not even in Caterham. Well, this is one of those few opportunities that uh, we can connect. And uh, so just send an email across to welcome at oakhallchurch.org.uk and uh, we'll send you a link back for Zoom. And uh, it'll be, as Josie says, just five zero fifty uh, minutes together uh, tomorrow evening, starting at eight fifteen. Um, particularly for those who are thinking about these things for the first time, but all welcome. And uh, we'd love to see you and just love to carry on the conversation. And uh, if you enjoy it, you might want to stay uh, for another one a week later. But come to the first and see how you go. Well, we want to close here and we want to say thank you so much to Michael uh, for this great morning, inspiring morning. And Josie, thanks so much that we could lead this together. And thank you all of you that we uh, can continue this conversation uh, through Christianity Explored and other avenues as well. As we keep thinking about who Jesus is and just the wonderful news of the message of the God who's come to the rescue. But thank you for this morning we've shared um, and see you soon. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.